old friend, a guy I know very well, Robert Drysdale. For those who haven't heard of him, Robert Drysdale is a highly accomplished, world-class jiu-jitsu black belt. He has won the ADCC Absolute Division. That's all weight classes. That's a very prestigious championship and honor. He's well, well known in jiu-jitsu circles. Perhaps best known for a submission victory over the legendary Marcelo Garcia. Robert has many uh, affiliate academies around the world. He is a uh, kind of guy who, kind of like me, where when you sit down with him, he might rather prefer talking about academia or capitalism or economics. Milton Friedman, he, he's a very well-versed person. He has a he is widely read. He is now a, a student getting earning, you know, in the process of earning his master's degree. Uh, he can speak about a lot of things, marketing, etc., human nature. Very good coach. With, He's with, with zero authority, by the way. With zero authority, he says. He's being <laughs> modest. But but Robert has, you know, one thing that I that I really want to talk with him about and why we're doing the podcast. And by the way, we've done a YouTube video out there. If you get a chance, Google. Frank Carreri and Robert Drysdale on YouTube. We did a, a very good video about an hour long a few years back. So we're long overdue to do uh, another talk. And, you know, one of the things, again, Robert is, he's been in a leadership position. He's coached many champions. He's coached world champions. So this he has a very interesting prism. He's a very unique independent thinker. An innovator, not an imitator. The, the jiu-jitsu space, like a lot of the world now, is full of imitation. People go onto YouTube, they, they, they study things, they imitate them, imitate, imitate, imitate. This is an innovator. If the internet dried up tomorrow, this guy would be thinking up new moves and problem-solving jiu-jitsu. That's the kind of thinker he is. So, Robert, it's a pleasure to be uh, sitting here in your backyard, in old Vegas, with the real Vegas, the non-superficial Vegas. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure to be here, Frank. Thank you. So Robert is smoking a cigar. Tell us about, you know, by the way, a lot of people don't think, you know, world-class athlete smoking cigars. You and Frank Mir are both cigar guys. What's the, what's the, what's up with the cigar uh, obsession? Now? I think it's more of a, more like a social habit, you know, talking to friends and, like, some people drink. I don't drink much. Very rarely do. I mean, maybe once a week I'll have a drink or two, but... Um, cigar is something I enjoy for many years now, just as uh, something to hang out with friends. More of a social habit, really. Um, I don't inhale it. You know, it stays in your mouth. So, I mean, long term, it will be bad for your tongue and mouth, you know, but I don't smoke that much, so I'm not too worried about it. Plus, I don't plan on living forever, so it's all good. <laughs> now, Robert is studying at University of Nevada, Las Vegas here. You're getting a master's degree in what? History. My major is American history and uh, oh, U.S. history, and my minor is in Latin American history. Where did you do your undergrad? Uh, in Brazil. You did? Yes. What was your degree in in Brazil? History, with a minor in geography. Now, you you lived in Now, I believe your dad is from Utah. Did you Were you born no, in Utah? That's from California. Okay. He was uh, attending BYU when he met my mother. My mother was a Brazilian swimmer on a scholarship at BYU. Yeah. They needed an extra person for their swimming team. They found my mom in Brazil. She's like a world-class swimmer like Olympic caliber back in the day. And um, my dad was a Mormon missionary who spoke fluent Portuguese. Yeah. So that's how they met. And I was born in Provo, Utah. Um, yeah, and then I moved to Brazil when I was six. But when you were six years old, yeah. you moved to Brazil. Five, six, yeah. And your father moved to Brazil as well. Correct. He did. Was, was your dad an active Mormon for, you know, at you during your whole childhood, was your dad an active yeah, Mormon? still is. So you were raised Mormon. I was raised Mormon. That's okay. correct. And, and what do you remember, again, about how did your faith... Uh, 
form your your ways of thinking? How did your faith, you know, being raised Mormon, did that have any impact on the way you think and the way you saw the world? In some ways, I have fond memories of the church, you know, mainly of like activities like playing soccer with my friends or camping. Like in Carnival, they you know we they pull us out of the real world and you know we go camping for a week. You know, and that was a lot of fun. I always look forward to Carnival, not because I like to party, because I like to go camping. That was fun. But um, as a whole, you know, like I just, you know, I, I start asking too many questions. Like, you know, I just, I think my mind is not a religious mind, mm-hmm. you know, and... Um, is your dad disappointed, I guess? Is your mom Mormon as well? Uh, no, she's like somewhat of a, I guess she'd call herself a spiritual person. Yeah. You know, but she's not fixed on any religion per se. My father's very Mormon to this day. Yeah. Did your, you, you know, again, by the way, this is an aside, but, but you're, when you... You know, since you were raised Mormon, but you've chosen, you're not a practicing Mormon, those are not your beliefs. Did your, did your father, I mean, how has he accepted that? What's the, you know? No, he, he, I think for a while there he had hopes that I'd go back to the church, maybe when I had kids, and, you know. But, like, uh, I remember I would have been 14, and, you know, my parents got divorced, and my mom asked, asked my mom if I had to go to church. My mom said, not if you don't want to. And that was it. Never went back. And, you know, I... I I have fond memories, like I said. I have a lot of my family members are Mormon, so but I don't, I don't feel the need to go to church. I find my morality. I find my morality, you know, observing people, watching life, and studying people, and I just don't, you know, if if it does well, I'm not one of those that's going to say, oh, you know, religion is a horrible thing. Like, no, if if it makes you happy and it makes you feel good about the world, and that's your way of viewing the world, I think. I don't, I don't see a problem with that, per se. I think it has a dangerous aspect, but so does nationalism. I think nationalism falls in the same category. It can be very good or very dangerous. You know, we don't have to look too far back in history to see the things that nationalism is responsible for. So, but, you know, I, I don't feel the need to go to church. So I, I've just been, I've always been, like, absent from, you know, mm. religious beliefs. And I've always, these sort of beliefs have always been absent of my life, and I, I'm okay with that. How many years did you spend in Brazil? I lived there from 6 to 17. I came to Las Vegas for two years, and then I lived in Brazil. went back to Brazil for another eight years. And I've been here for 10. So I've been about 50% of my life in Brazil, 50% of my life over here. Now, those of us who are born and raised in North America, we have one prism. You spent a lot of your formative years in Brazil, obviously from the TV, TV and media clippings we see that brazil can be a dangerous place yeah. how did growing up in brazil was it real sao paulo outside sao paulo, sao paulo. close yeah. how did that which i believe is the financial center of brazil correct I'd so say latin america I suppose. Yeah. yeah how how did growing up in brazil shape your prism your world prism your view of human behavior etc i'm very happy i grew up in brazil as a child i think that my experiences were you know they were the typical experience that any brazilian would experience but Going back and forth, I've always been able to contrast cultures. One of my earliest childhood memories is my mom having a heated debate with a Mormon missionary about who invented the airplane. And this is something most Americans are not exposed to, or Brazilians for that matter. It's only if you've been exposed to both cultures that you see this debate. Right Brothers or Santos Dumont? And they go back and forth on it. And it's, a, it's a very heated debate. There's, a, there's an outcome to that debate, but that's a different story. But, you know, I've always been you know, contrasting languages and cultures and having two families with you know, different ways of looking at the world. Um, my family in Brazil, all Italians, 
so very Italian oriented, like not so different from American Italians. Your, your, your name is Drysdale. Your mom's it's name is Andrea. Andreazza, Andreazza. Which is, yeah, very Italian yeah. name. Um, I don't have Andreazza in my name, which is right. But, but so pe- people do, people but. maybe don't perceive that you have an an Italian side to you as well. I have more Italian than Scottish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like very. My, my education was was like very. I guess like a typical Italian family. Your mom speak Italian as well? Not little, very little, very yeah. little. My family, they all studied Italian at some point, but no one really stuck to it. What, what, so when you were in Brazil, you've been to favelas. Mm, yeah, many times. You have. And that does what to, your, to shaping your views of human behavior, of society? I, I think that it's, 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 it's like, it's like a... And this is one of those issues. Like, it's if you ask the fish, what is you know that there's this, if you told the fish there's such thing as water, like and the fish would laugh at you and you go like water, you're silly. Like it's when it's something is so permeated in your life and it's so present, you have a hard time identifying it. And like people that grow up in Brazil, and they're always exposed to misery and poverty. They take that for granted. They think it's normal for an eight year old child to knock on your you know car you know your window and ask for money beg for food. They think that's normal because you see it every day. You be, it's crazy, but you become desensitized to something like that. You think it's normal to spend a whole month's pay on a pair of Nikes. Like, think about that. It's insane. But if you see it every day, that is your norm, right? And, you know, coming to the United States, I mean, I was able to see, you know, life from a very different perspective. I moved here during the recession, 2008, and everyone was like, you know, going crazy, the recession, the recession. I had just moved here from Brazil. And I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm going, this is the best economy I've ever seen. <laughs> I was, like, thrilled to be here, you know, because it was so much better than what I was used to in Brazil. So I, I, never, I didn't grow up poor in Brazil. I grew up better off than most. But I've seen, you know, Brazil from both those extremes. You know, I had friends that were extremely wealthy, and they lived in condominiums, and their parents had, like, BMWs and Mercedes and their garages. And then I've seen kids. I had friends that every now and then I have to give them clothes because they had nothing to wear to school. So I've been exposed to both those things, you know, and... and it's, it makes you think, you know, it just makes you wonder and just try to, I've always been, I always like to look at the world in a critical way, as critical as possible, and, you know, try to, try to analyze these things from a, from a social, political, economical perspective, and Brazil is quite an experience, like, I, I really value my life here because of that, and I think a lot of people here take their life for granted, like, when I see people complain about the economy here, or how hard life is here, or poverty here, I always feel like poverty, poor people here have Xboxes at home, you know, poor kids in Brazil have no, they, they live on, like, dirt floors, you know, like, no open sewage type thing, so, it just... I really I consider myself very privileged because of these things. So it was it was an eye opening experience. That's why I always recommend people if you don't ever live in a poor country, at least you should visit one once in your life so you know what it's like. Now, one of the things uh, about Robert Drysdale as that I alluded to earlier, he's a man of many topics, and he spends a lot of time thinking about thinking and really challenging his own views and trying to be very intellectual we, we were talking before the podcast about uh you know a lot of people just reflexively accept whatever is popular and they don't really challenge their belief systems or they don't want to challenge their belief system up against logic up against other potential facts right people just so one of the things you know and we were saying we were both in a space, the fight sports, the combat sports, where you are pushing your body to the brink. You are getting beat up. You are getting busted up. You are getting exhausted. And yet, I think Robert and I both agree that I think more people out there, most people 
don't want to sign up for really hard, physical, grueling work. Most people don't. But I think far more people are lazier intellectually. I think that there's even fewer people that want to spend the time thinking through things and, and thinking and asking the hard questions. Um, that is what I have seen. Thinking is hard work. Your thoughts, Robert, I mean, what you've seen when, when you know, in terms of, because, by the way, your dad, do you think you get this whole thinking thing a lot from your, your dad? Uh, you know, where, where do you I, I get that? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think everyone thinks. Like, this is not something, you know, some we, we just think about different things. Yeah. You know, I'm, like, clueless about in, like, social environments. Like, you know, there could be, sometimes I'm in deep thoughts and, like, there'll be, you know, someone catching on fire and I don't notice it. Like, I'm fucking spaced out, you know. So that way I'm not. Not very. I don't think a lot, but in other ways, I, I mean, the things that entertain me, you know, mainly. But I think in general, we we're all like very. We all lean towards fashion in the sense where we're always trying to. It's easier to do what everyone else is doing because everyone else does it, so it must have been pre-approved. It must be a good idea because clearly everyone else is doing it, right? And you know, but like you, we don't always think our decisions critically, and it's a very difficult thing to do because it takes so much of your time. So I think most of our decisions, most of our behavior is irrational. Most of what we consider to be good is irrational. It's not something we think about. But I think we should all make an effort to think our decisions through and do what is not necessarily what is emotionally convenient or financially convenient or socially convenient, but do what is, you know, logical and right. And it's free, it's an effort, right? We all, we all struggle with this. But I think it's, just ta- it's interesting talking points uh, just because, I don't know, I think that when it comes to human behavior, most of it is just irrational. We're not as smart as we think we are. And maybe you're since you since you believe since you think that, and maybe you have an awareness where you want to challenge yourself because you're thinking, wait, since a lot of us are irrational and we're just mindlessly irrationally doing things, maybe I'm guilty of the same thing. And oh, maybe if I think more about these things, I will do things in a more rational way, in a better way. Maybe that's why you spend. I think yeah, you got to fact check yourself constantly. Be you know rethinking your ideas, and above all, be willing to be wrong. You know, like I, I don't mind being proven wrong. I've been proven wrong a million times in my life. I don't mind apologizing when I'm wrong. I, I think that's the way things should be. You know, we were just talking about this earlier. Like it's impossible to have a discussion with people when they're unwilling to change their minds. You're just wasting your breath. So I, I avoid talking to people when they say they're set on an idea. I don't even bother discussing anything with them. It's like you can't change your mind. Why am I going to waste yeah. my breath? But I, I like to think maybe maybe I'm wrong and maybe this is my own bias. But like if you talk, if you expose me to my bullshit. I want to be able to change my mind and go, oh, you're right, and not have a problem with that. And I think that's the way, well, that's the way discussions should be. Like Every time you discuss something with someone, you should be ready yeah. to change your mind. What's interesting, and I see this in you, and I have it as well. I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and it's a very political hotbed, and everybody has strong opinions about things. And so I grew up enjoying intense debate, just the same way that I enjoy a good grappling session or a good whatever, right, and a, a good intense competition. So... Some of us enjoy that. However, what I've learned, you just alluded to it, along the way is now I look and say, okay, I'm, I enjoy intense debate with someone where there's going to be discovery, maybe where there's a mutual respect, maybe where we're both keeping an open mind and, and we're really trying to learn, not where I'm just going to sit here and talk for two hours, intensely debate someone, and there's no chance I'm going to change their mind. And then I've learned, like, that's just not... It's just not a good use of my time, no matter. Like, so yeah. that's the one thing I look for now if I'm going to have a debate with someone on something is... Yeah, you, yeah you, we should be open mind. I guess. Like, this whole thing about, oh, the person's changed, you know? And I remember, like, uh, whatever, the thing was in um, 
Archaeology of Knowledge, Foucault, like a very last paragraph of the introduction, he writes something, because he flip-flops, right? He changes ideas. Like, he writes a book, and he has, says one thing, and his next book is saying something completely different. He's like the opposite, right? So he's justifying it, and he says, he writes something, I can't remember verbatim, but it's something like this. He goes, don't ever ask me to remain the same. And I like that. I think we should be changing our minds, you know? Like, it shouldn't be... I think it's odd when politicians do it, you know, you're anti-gay your whole life, and the whole world accepts homosexuality, and all of a sudden you're pro-gay. It's like, all right, that to me that's, you know, with politicians especially, you got to be careful with that, but in general, you should be willing to change our minds and, you know, rethink your ideas, and I think, that, to me, that's an interesting exercise. I enjoy that. Now, I've talked before about the fight sports, combat sports, jiu-jitsu, wrestling, Muay Thai, boxing, um... Etc. And I think, again, for me personally, there's a hierarchy there. I believe I have faith at the top of the pyramid, like others. I have faith in the higher, what I call God. You can call it whatever you want. And then behind that, I would say, you know, you hit the parental jackpot. You have great parents, and they teach you all the right things. You get lucky with a mentor. A lot of people fall through the cracks for whatever reason. They don't have faith in anything greater than themselves yeah. they they lose the parental jackpot and so we have a lot we talked about this earlier we have a lot of lost people right now we have a lot of people who are depressed a lot of people who have no sense of purpose they're going through the motions they you know we had the society has a lot of that i personally think again it's not an easy fix by any means but i think that the martial arts is a great place for people building for lost people to go and but, I want you to speak to that, but, your experiences and, and your thoughts on that. I think martial arts, like any other thing you can be passionate about, has the potential to bring you joy and peace. And it has the potential to be the exact opposite as well. You know, it just depends on how you approach it. Like I see, you know, we were talking about, you know, I, I often say this, it's not a very popular opinion, but I think that millennials are the most spoiled generation in existence of humanity. Like we've had it so, and we're, and, and at the same time, it's so spoiled it's become also the most depressed and anxious. Mm -hmm. I think that depression, anxiety will be the, you know, the, the problems of the, some of the biggest problems in the 21st century. And it's mainly because I think we, we become so vain and so obsessed with looking for happiness in the wrong places. Like, let's say someone who's financially driven, right? Like, I want to be rich. Okay, I, I, don't, I disagree with that. So I don't, it's not something that, you know, I go to bed thinking about every night, but you know, we all like money. But everyone's idea of making money is not developing a skill. They don't want to develop a skill and work their asses off and grind. What they want to do is buy a Bitcoin and get rich. Think about that. Everyone wants to live the life. They want to have a yacht. They want to have all the beautiful women. They want to live on the beach and not work. You hear that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. People are going, I don't want, they, they, they want to be investors and speculators. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, there's no happiness there. The happiness is not in enjoying the comfort. It's actually grinding to achieve something you believe in, like whatever that is. Right, it's jujitsu, yep. or that's where yep. to me, like it's it's something that's deep. It's not something on the superficial outer layer of of, of of life and behavior. It's you know I see people there. I think we got like we got happiness confused with comfort, and I think that's caused a lot of problems. We, a woman think, okay, if I'm beautiful, I'll be happy. A guy goes, if I'm rich, I'll be happy. Or you know, and we're looking at things from a very superficial. Maybe it's always been that way, but I think that life has become so easy and convenient in the 21st century. Like it's so we have the whole world at a you know, no, I, th pocket. I think I think even and, the assumption, the yeah. assumption that when robots come along and will do all the work for us, it's gonna get worse. I think yeah, it's like, well, what are people yeah, gonna do? Yeah. Because again, it's like, I mean, I when I would go into high schools and speak, I'd go in there with a black belt and I'd say, if I give you this black belt, if I just give it to you, 
What does it mean? I mean, when you gave me, Robert, by the way, Robert Drysdale is, is who awarded me my black belt in June 2010. And I remember, uh, first of all, he surprised me. It was on a Monday. And the I didn't know. Uh, old location. I, I did not expect it. It was so surprising. The guy surprised me so much that there's not video nor a picture of the occasion or the ceremony. I'm not, I mean, <laughs> it did happen. There was no preparation. Wondering. You were so surprising. <laughs> he fooled everybody so much so that there was no one there to, to video it. Or take a picture. So, but but anyway, it caught me so off guard. And when Robert and you you guys know, I mean, I I talk a lot, a lot, a lot, and I never miss an opportunity to talk and and, and you know, and I'm opinionated and etc. And yet, when Robert called me up there, said a few words, put the black belt around my waist, and then he said, hey, he patted me on the back. And he said, all right, Frank, you know, speech. And, yeah, anything you anything you want to say, right? Anything you want to say, and I probably could have set the record for longest black belt acceptance speech, except for one thing. Um, I got so tongue tied, and I could not get, and you know that I could not get a single word out, and started to well up, and I think I went in the corner. I was embarrassed, and I was crying in the corner for like 20 minutes. Now I didn't know that. Yeah, I cried in the corner for, for like 20 minutes. My head down. I didn't want to lift my head. But the the point being, I think of that versus people who just want the black belt, right? The magic pill the mentality. The Give me the black belt. Mentality. It's like That's exactly what the I call only it, the way you pill, can yeah. you can reach those tiers, right? And the only way you can do it, because um, you know I've seen where even on social media the athlete cries. John, you know Daniel Cormier gets knocked out by John Jones and he cries and he's mocked for crying, right? And I'm like, man, if people ever put their heart and soul into something, they would understand. Why someone who loses can cry, who puts their that's heart courage. and soul in something. Right. Him crying is right. not, it's not, there's no shame there. It's, that's courage. Yeah. That's courage for expressing how yeah. you truly feel about yeah. something. That's, to me, that's not, I, I, I cry. I mean, I don't yeah. have a problem with that. Like, so I, someone who's not. crawled for it yeah. and who has, who has almost drowned for it, it's going to mean the world. So again, it's, it's, the, it's this mentality where people want the black belt, but they don't want to put the work in. People want, that is, a, that is the magic you, 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 you want me to, like, 21st century, you know, people in, in a nutshell, we want to stuff ourselves with donuts and then take a magical pill to get skinny and lean. We want to be one of fitness. We want to look like a fitness model and we eat donuts all day. And the solution to that is just take a magic. Like, that's what we're looking for. Everything we do is a magical pill to solve all, all kind of like, to rid ourselves of any kind of effort. But I think what people miss, and I say this all the time, and this is like something I really try to hammer through my students' heads. Is that the hard work is the reward? There's no reward in spending the money. There's no reward. I, I don't. I don't. It's it's very temporary. It's very superficial. You know, you buy a car and it's a great. It's the greatest fucking thing for like forty eight hours. Yeah. And it goes away. It's just another car. You know. But that's how we, we're chasing these things, right? But we're missing out on the on the the true treasure, which is actually grinding for the things you love. Meaning, not only having meaning, but working hard to achieve it. Like yeah. to me, I I hate talking about it because it sounds like I'm fucking living in. Or something, but mm -hmm. like when I when I went ADTC, for example, there's no, I don't I don't the, the memory of winning to me or or actually having the trophy, which I didn't know where it was for six years, by the way, mm -hmm. is less meaningful than the memories of me grinding to achieve that. Mm -hmm. My greatest memories in life were me going to tournaments in Rio de Janeiro, sleeping in a van with my friends, like sleeping on concrete a lot of times, you know, and, and or in yeah. gyms. Those were that's the treasure I take from my jiu-jitsu experience, and I try to teach that because like that that's where I found my happiness was yep. striving to achieve. And not okay, ADCC has opened a lot of doors for me, but 
when I look back, I feel that the golden age of my life was me working for that tournament, yeah. not actually enjoying the seeds or the proceeds yeah, of what I planted, you know, in my youth. And um, I think that is completely missed on people. We're a civilization obsessed with the reward, and you're, we're missing out on the real treasure. And as a result, I think we become a very anxious and depressed civilization. And I see this all, I see it all over the place. It's interesting. I was at Whole Foods earlier, and I saw this lady, and she was wearing, like, a mint-colored shirt. And I start talking to her, hey, that's a nice color, whatever. And um, it turns out the lady's 72. The lady looked, like, 52, right? Yeah. She's 72. Yeah. And her friend comes over. Her friend looks 50, and she's 69. So anyway, we start talking, and it, and it reminded me, and something you just said reminded me, too. Frederick Douglass, the, 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 the former slave who wrote one of my favorite books, his, his, The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. Um, it's 144 pages. The first book I ever wrote, riveting, page by page. And, they, and, and later I found out, I don't believe he mentioned the book, later I found out, they asked Frederick Douglass, a former slave who I think wind up being ambassador to France, world-renowned speaker, uh, and they asked him, what is your fondest memory? And he, go, of all the places, this man who, who goes from zero to hero, of all the places he could, he goes back to when he was a slave and he was gathered around on Sundays when it was illegal to read and he's gathered around with other slaves by candlelight and they're sneaking to read and he's teaching other slaves to read. He said, that was my favorite, to, to the point what you just said. His favorite memory was, I'm not supposed to teach them, but I'm empowering them. I'm awakening them. This is what they don't want. They don't want us to teach them to read. And it's interesting how... We all think it's going to be, oh, when you're the big, you're bad, yeah. whatever. There's, see, there's, there's a reason why artists, you know, like, or you know, celebrities come in. Yeah, no, I was thinking yeah. of Nirvana. I was listening yeah. to him earlier. I was thinking yeah. the same thing, Kurt, Kurt Cobain. Cobain. You know, I, I saw an interview with Kurt Cobain once, and he was describing, he said the very best moment in Nirvana, but the very best moment was when they were on the brink of success. They were just about to make it. And that was their greatest moment of his life, because as soon as he made it, he said his life got worse. And he was trying to describe, when he was, when he was a kid, he'd go to, like, a, a thrift store, and he was describing how special it was. Like you put the coins together to buy a, you know, an old T-shirt or an old shirt, whatever. And that was special because he didn't have the money. So buying something, that, even if it was used, right? Most people wouldn't value it much to him. It was so special. But now he's a big famous rock star, or was a famous rock star. And he could buy any guitar he wanted, yep. and it lost its importance. It just wasn't valuable anymore, you know. And I think that. You know this this society of extremes that we live in today, and that's mm-hmm. that's what it is. Of you, you know. You're either, you know, super rich or super poor or super famous or, you know, not. And then it's, I think it's created a lot of problems. You know, it's, 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 it's not our true nature. Yeah. I think that, you know, if you look at back of, back to like 99.9% of our existence, it wasn't like that. Like, being famous then was, it means like the 20, 20 people in your hunter and gatherer group knew who you were. <laughs> you were the, you know what I'm saying? Like, you had a group of like 20 people who you were significant to. And now... We're striving to be globally, you know, recognizable. There was a. It's just, uh, it's just at odds with our nature. I got a, I got a phone call um, one time, and it was from a professional athlete, and they had won a world championship. I think like two weeks prior, and this athlete was so depressed, and I think it speaks to what you said, which is he, when they won the world title, he thought, "Oh man, like, oh, now I found it. It's no. going to be." Yeah the most incredible, incredible, 
and it was anticlimactic. It was like, first of all, I think he was drained. I think his CNS was shot. I think his endorphins were shot, and I think he was still drained from. But 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 I think it was like he was so depressed because he had expected it to be greater than it was. He'd expect it to be more fulfilling than it was. He thought the reward equaled happiness. Yeah. He thought that we associate that. If I only win that UFC belt, if I only had that house, if I only had ten million dollars in my bank account, all my problems would be solved. And yep. I, I, there's a minute there where I want to retire at 40, and I'm like working hard. I want to stop working and just like live on the beach, you know. And like now I see things very differently, and I love working, and I will never retire. I think happiness comes from working. Like work yep. is a fundamental aspect of human well-being. Yep. And people don't want to do that. And, like, and again, they, I think it's going to get worse with the coming robotic is, age where the is, robot does is. everything for us. We're gonna, the cars you know, drive it's, themselves. It's I, and, I used to hate, like, there's certain things I And I'm pro-technology, but, but uh, again, we're, there's a balance that needs to be struck, and we are going to weigh, we're going to far exceed that balance. Yeah. And, and I think modern technology has allowed, to some extent, like, the worst of people to come out. We became more vain as a result. We become more arrogant. We become more selfish. We live in a very selfish age. Because life, the truth is, I have the world at the whole world fits in my pocket. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I have more knowledge on this phone than every library in the world had a hundred years ago. Yeah. And you think tips. about that is insane. Yeah. But we don't use our phones for knowledge or you know self improvement. We use our phones for you know gossip and find out what the fucking Kardashians are doing because that's important, right? And I don't know. I think that in a way, technology has brought the worst out of people. You you know uh, you went you mentioned something earlier that I want to go back to. When I see my friends that are so, I make a distinction. If you're poor and depressed, that's different from rich and depressed. Poor and depressed, you still have the dangling carrot, which is listen. If I can just do better financially, most of my problems will yeah. go away. So that can that can be a good thing for some people. They just keep thinking, I'm going to chase the dangling carrot. I can fix this. Yeah. My depression will be lifted. When you're rich and depressed, it's ten times worse, kind of worse because then you're thinking, wait. I thought I solved the problem. I thought that when I have the championships, yeah. the money, the this, the that, my problems will be you're yeah, really, yes. Yeah. People that are really the most screwed you are people that have money and resources and they're depressed yeah. because now you're like, what the F, what am you I going to do? You know, the happiest people I've ever met in my life, I've been in a lot of places around the world, happiest people I've ever seen in the favelas of Rio de Janeiro. I still can barely explain it because we're talking open sewage, like it's very precarious. I mean... You're lucky if you have, like, concrete floors type thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's poverty is, is, is at, a, at a whole new level. You see little kids walking around with guns, and it's a very sad picture in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But everyone's smiling. Like, there's this, there's this acceptance of who they are and where they are and what life is about. And because there are no expectations, right, the, 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 the alpha males in those societies end up being drug dealers, mm-hmm. right? That is, like, the, the pinnacle of, if you grew up in a slum in Brazil, that's the pinnacle of achievement is to become the top you know, godfather of drug dealing. But, you know, at the same time, just this acceptance that, you know, they're not going to drive a Ferrari, they're not going to live on a, in a mansion on the beach, they're not going to travel. You know, it, it, but because they accept it, I really believe they're happier. Like, I, it's, I, wealthy people are some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. And it's so cliche to say that money doesn't bring happiness, but it's cliche. It's been, you know, people have been saying it for centuries, but it's true. Yeah. Like, you don't, that's not where you find it, you know. Like, I, I truly believe that finding a, something you're passionate about, if you fail to find your passion in life because it's not there, and sometimes it's a matter of luck. I was lucky because uh, my mom was Brazilian, and they moved back to Brazil when I was six. Had I gone to Paraguay or Italy, 
my life would have been very different. I would have not found Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I wouldn't be here right now. Right? So luck is a huge part of everything we do. But Agreed, by the way. Some of you will, will disagree. You'll say, be whatever you want to be, but no, the, domino, the way the dominoes no, fall no, in, impacts a lot. Yeah. Now, we, and we, we all have a nature. We're not yeah. clones. We're not identical. We're all different. And, you know, but finding the things you're passionate about, whatever that is, and then sticking to doing those things and being able to live off, that's, that's to me, that's where, that's where happiness lies. You know? mm-hmm. Like, and I like, appreciate small achievements. You know, like back in the day, you would, you know, it would be super hard to kill an animal, you know, and imagine like having to hunt down an animal with a bow and arrow. Imagine how hard that would be. I think I'd have been a fruitarian. I would have been just nuts and fruits. But like men, they hunted. That's what yeah. we did, right? We go out there. And it was super hard. And when you killed a deer, whatever it was, you fed the whole group for days on end. You were the hero of the village. And you got a kick out of that. Right? That's why we get a kick out of, like, but these kids are getting ten times that kick from playing video games. They play Call of Duty, and they get that little reward for killing something that doesn't exist. Right? But we become hyper-stimulated by this, these sensories. Right? So we become addicted. So we're basically like little crack addicts looking for quick rewards and feel good. Instead of like grinding, where was before it was super hard to get a kick out of being successful, right? Now we get that left, right, and center. But in a way, it's become it is it, it is a problem. Not so it's not so different from, from being a drug addict. You're addicted to pleasure, yeah. and when you're addicted to pleasure, what the result of that is you need more and well, more. Like a drug addict, no, you need yeah, more. And yeah. when it does, there's no end to it. Yeah. And in the and in that process, you lose track of what's important. That, that's and, that's why, Rob. I, I and I've come to say it. it Pleasure without pain is worth pennies on the dollar. I really believe that most of the pleasure that we feel is just simply the absence or the alleviation of pain. I don't believe that pleasure for its own sake. I believe most people, when they do feel pleasure, I believe it's the equivalent of you have to go use the restroom and it's urgent. And that could be the best feeling, right? Why does it feel good? When you, you, know, you really have to go and you have to pull over and you just make it to the bathroom and you get in there... That feeling could be phenomenal. It's yeah. simply the relief. It's, it's a relief of pain. In, in my in my experience, so in other words, to take pain out of the equation is a mistake. Pleasure relies. Pleasure derives its value in, in an ideal form from the existence of pain. Yeah. If, if pain is taken out of the equation, pleasure is worth nothing. Very little. You know, uh, there has to yeah. be. We are in the pain game. That so we learn that very. You know, those of us who who spend so many years in it, we learn the value to appreciate. The pain, yeah. the suffering, yeah. and and Victor Franco would call it. He'd say, "Look, man, search for meaning, uh, woman, search for meaning." That that uh, the 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 key to happy life is to attach meaning to your suffering, yeah. right? So there's a meaning for you. Yeah. It was worth you yeah, enjoyed it because there was a goal. There was a des- There was a place you were headed to. There were things. There were goals. You know what? What, what Nietzsche said about that? He said pain and pleasure were twins. They go hand in hand, and I agree with that. I think they they I I, I know people who have it easy. They don't work, play video games all day, you know, smoke, drink, party. They have money. And, like, I, I know. They're also on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. You know? um, what, what do you – let's talk about human motivation because you're in the space. You have hundreds, probably thousands of students around the world, and you get a very good portrait of motivation. No two people are alike. What do you see as very common motivators of people? Is it – I mean, the, the most driven people, the people that you see who get to climb the highest in the fight sports, what is the what is motivating them? What's their why? What do you see the most commonly? I think for the highest achievers, I, I think ego is single handedly the biggest motor for any anything you do. Amen to that. And um, 
you know, and ego is something irrational. Like when you really think about, let's say we're in competition, right? And my ego tells me that I have to beat you. Whatever it is that we're competing, I have to be. I just have to be that alpha dog, right? And it's something completely irrational to think about. It. What's the point of me beating you in jiu-jitsu? Think about it. Like it's an important question. We spend our lives trying to tap each other out, right? What's the point? To feel, what, to, what, feel, to feel dominant over someone it's, else. But it's completely irrational. Yes. I and mean, you think on a, on a practical level, what yes. changes in the world and what improvement has been made? Like, there's no, it's experience. It's an experience. Yeah. Yeah. But it's motivated out of something that, you know... It, no, it's, it's a very, it's a very it's, arbitrary thrill, meaning that this person may be ten times better than me at, at a myriad of things, and I'm choosing this one skill and, to and feel... It, it's, it's a feel-good thing, but there's something... I was describing it the other day, like certain things about life that you know, are very unique. Like, everything from, like... Like, for example, had, you know, having babies. Like, when you're a father, like, your child is born, you can't explain that. That is a very unique feeling. And then people that have gone through that, they don't understand it. That's when a parent tries to explain someone who's not a parent. They don't comprehend until you have your first child, and you go, now I know what everything's about. Like, I've got every, everything I did my whole life, now it makes sense. But sometimes you're doing stuff, you know, it doesn't make sense. There's no purpose. And when you have a kid, that changes, right? Um, like, there are unique feelings in life, like an orgasm. It's a unique, you can't explain an orgasm, right? It's an incredible feeling. You can't explain having your hand raised when you win a match. It's like an orgasm for your ego. That's what it is. Like, you can't explain. It's the greatest feeling. You, there's nothing like it. You can't explain what it's like winning. It's completely irrational, but it's absolutely incredible. Like, I miss that, having my hand raised. I, have, I get thrilled from different things, right? But isn't I, it interesting? Those, those isn't days it, are isn't it interesting? Because I see this. This is one of the things that I see most. Kale Sanderson talked about this, and I think you fit into this category. I certainly fit in this category where losing sucks a hundred times worse than winning feels good, right? So even Tom Brady talking about that, where it's like sometimes when you win a lot, like you've won, I've actually been lucky. I've won a lot, at least in my early years, I did. When you win a lot, Winning doesn't feel as good as it used to, but losing sucks times a million, right? Yeah. So, so sometimes when we're, yeah. when, we're, when we're winning and we're choosing to get that hand raised, it's just, it's relief. Because Again, it's relief it's because relief. it's like, wow, it's exactly. like, that feels so great Which because... Is why these, this competition the expectation. is a, it's a treadmill. Yeah. It's a treadmill. You're running to stay in the same place. You've yeah. accomplished nothing on the long term of things. You're yeah. not feeling better because yeah. like winning a tournament does not... It doesn't... Yeah. You feel it, but it's a little... It's, it's the equivalent of a drug. You see, you get a kick out of it. Right? I've never done any drugs, but imagine like smoking crack would be incredible. What an incredible feeling. And 10 minutes later, you need what? A bigger dose. And you need another one and another one. If you take that away from it, you get cold turkey. And that's, I think that's the world we're living in right now. We're just desperate for like these rewards. And they're really, they're not really making us better or happier, but they are such, um, they're so present in, in, in but you maybe see a difference. You've been you've been in Brazil. You you've got affiliates there. You you've you've taken in kids that were very poor and you've put them in jujitsu. You've done a lot of good work there with with uh, teaching ki- kids that were sort of at risk and didn't have much teaching them jujitsu. But there's maybe a difference between the kids in Brazil, their why, their purpose, and maybe in in America, where kid in Brazil might not have a plan B. Right? You the kid why, in Brazil, you know, you there's know, only you know why. You know why Brazilians are still better than Americans in jiu-jitsu? Because uh, when I first, I always believed that eventually Americans would topple Brazilians in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I don't believe that anymore. You know why? Why? Because when the second they get a little taste of winning here, of success, mm-hmm. they get so much recognition that they lose motivation. These kids in Brazil, for you to get any kind of recognition, you have to be so fucking good. Whereas the simple fact that you're American or charismatic or you got good social media skills or whatever, 
it puts you, it gives you such so much more leverage than your competition in Brazil that you get you get overwhelmed with that reward, and it's so easy to lose yeah. motivation because now you have it, you got the recognition, you made the so money. So maybe maybe popularity is the goal. Whoa, 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 in what North America? In there? It, it, because you, it's oh, you can't even compare. Yeah. A Brazilian wins the world championship. Don't give a shit. Like someone from you know Italy. No, I talk about Gabe Moraes. Gabe Moraes is a multiple-time black belt world no champion. Phenomenal. Nobody no knows, and, and nobody's and, and bending and, over and, backwards and, to do his seminars. And, and you and, get guys who've never won anything; they get all that recognition. Yeah. But what is your motivation to keep pursuing something when you get it handed to you so quickly? Yeah. You see what's going on? The kids in Brazil not only do they not have money; they have no life expectations. Because a lot of these kids don't even finish high school. They're 100% invested in jiu-jitsu. But for them to shine. They have to accomplish so much more than their American counterparts. And, you know, I think in Thailand something similar happens. For you to be a successful Thai boxer in Thailand and shine when there's so many good guys there, you have to be exceptional. Whereas can't just can't just have popularity. You gotta you gotta actually deliver on the quality and the and the the resume has to be there. You can't just can't just get by off of a couple of wins and then ride the popularity train forever and ever and ever. Don't, and don't get me started. Where, 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 I know where, where your popularity exceeds your resume. Yeah, we've gotten those two things confused. Yeah. You know, we've, we've gotten popularity. Anyone who believes that popularity equals skills needs needs to explain Kim Kardashian. Yeah, I, I I would say there to anybody listening, if you want to just drive yourself crazy, just uh, try to wrap your brain around how in any industry certain figures are immensely popular and purported to be the best of the industry, and meanwhile people that are the real Jedi's who are who are far better, who have a far better resume, maybe far more altruism, sit and sometimes on the verge of starvation, and it's just it's a very unfair world. If you want to see it, if you want to just try to wrap your brain around how unfair the world is, you in any industry where, 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 where popularity trumps and crushes you're, quality. You're right. You're right. Every, in every, regard, every, every aspect of life, you're, you're crazy. right. But just stick it to jiu-jitsu. So the people who are being claimed as heroes and superheroes in jiu-jitsu and are being the reward are often the most vain and most shallow. They're a successful athlete. I really, I go into Brazil and like, interviewing all these grandmasters for the documentary has been really a life-changing experience because I was able to... I've never interacted with the elderly like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... I never had a close relationship with any of my grandparents except my grandmother on my mother's side. But she died when I was very young. But there was this, not only this peace but this wisdom about them too. And it wasn't like... They weren't book smart. They were just life smart, you know, and they are at peace with everything they had done. But there's just one guy that stood out to me. You know, he has... He teaches out of a small town in Brazil and he has... He's a red belt. He has, according to him, 600 children training under him, like poor kids. They never paid. He's been teaching for free for decades. No one knows who he is. He's got no jiu-jitsu The Jedi behind the Jedis. The Jedi behind the Jedis. And he's put on a lot of successful athletes, people that were under him, the Jedi under the Jedis, like you described. But we're talking about, you know, consistently over decades, hundreds of children, thousands of children, tens of thousands possibly. That he he didn't ever. He didn't ever. He made the mistake of and not advertising. He never, ever asked for reward. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for an applause. But that guy has had a much greater impact in jiu-jitsu than I ever, I ever will, you know, or anyone else. I, anyone else in the jiu-jitsu world, for yep. example. So these are the people that I come to admire because that guy has had a net positive effect in the world that it's not recognized. And he didn't shatter from the rooftops. But these, exactly. But these are the people we should be applauding, right? Because that guy has actually changed the life of thousands of children in Brazil, poor kids. And yet we're applauding, you know, Kim Kardashians of jiu-jitsu like we're, we're, we're looking at them and going like whoa teach me more you know let me let me find out what you're doing because that's really important you know and the people that are actually we should be looking up to are forgotten in some dark corner in the middle of nowhere in Brazil or you know or in the United States or anywhere for that matter 
and I think it's it's it not not only is unfair, but I think it's it's something that as a society, as a civilization, we're missing out on. We don't applaud the right people. You know, we want to applaud someone who's truly significant to the world. Applaud school teachers. How about that? Most underpaid, overworked, least appreciated of all people. And they, to me, school teachers are the very foundation of society. Like family is one, you know, but school is the other. Like a school teacher, like think of it. They should get paid more than doctors. How much, like, how much is UFC guys making? Millions? What, what would Connor make with Floyd Mayweather? Hundred million? Like, <clears throat> in a just society, a school teacher would be making more money than Conor McGregor. In a yeah. just society, yeah. because he's far more important. He's far more relevant to the world, right? He's doing more important work, but that's not how you know. Because once again, our behavior is irrational. The, 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 the people when we when we uh, when we the, we're not interested in the people who are actually doing important things, like scientists, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Scientists, it, it, like, it, it, they're incredible what these guys do. They dedicate their lives. You know, these guys, these, these guys are in a room, dark room, some are reading books their whole life, studying, and they're increasing the whole of human knowledge. And because of that, they're making the world a better place. They're discovering vaccines that save the lives of millions, right? No one is applauding them. No one's applauding them. But we are, you know, but we're applauding, you know, vanity. Like, you know, I, I say this a lot, but vanity in this day and age have become, has become a virtue. And um, I think humility and hard work have become almost like flaws. Because... You don't, there's no, there's no social reward, but at the same time, yep. there's a personal reward that's not always spoken about, yeah. but, you know, maybe, maybe I sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I think ultimately the people who are actually doing the hard, important work are the ones who are happiest, even though they're not always getting that reward. Well, you wonder, though, if a society merely gets what it deserves. In other words, people, people are such suckers for hype, and again, let's just use the fight game as an example. Yeah. I mean, you have some of the best fighters, like a Demetrius Johnson, and he's going to he's going to get paid a fraction because cuz he's, he's lighter every yeah, yeah, yeah. most of the people watching think they could kick his butt on a good day um crazy. there there's a lack of appreciation for what he does and yet somebody who talks 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 i mean the fight game has long been the hype game and at the end of the day it doesn't matter how good you are it's can you string a few wins together talk a lot of smack the more you resemble pro wrestling and it really, that's a, I mean, it's, it's it'll, it'll, drive, it'll drive you crazy. It'll drive it's you crazy. Crazy. If, if you're Demetrius Johnson, it's going to drive you crazy yeah. because you're like, what else do I have to do? Yeah. I'm, I'm not being touched in fights, and yet I'm almost being penalized because I'm too good, because I'm too technical. Uh, I don't talk a lot. I'm just a nice guy who's married with his kids, and I play video games, and I beat people up. And But because he doesn't do it in a way that's so over-the-top, sort of Kim Kardashian-esque, like, Hey, you know, it's, it's the people, the people want that. And the, the thing that's sad is the people, the fans in general, crave that. They crave that circus. I, if I so we're getting see, what we deserve in a, in a, in a you know, yeah, we're getting I mean, what we deserve. We're, we're all responsible for it. But, like, if I want to see drama when I see a fight, I watch a Mexican soap opera. If I want a drama. When I see a fight, I want to see technique. I, I, don't, I don't care about the hype. I don't care how what you what you like. It's not important. I want to see the skill. The mm-hmm. skill is what interests me in a fight. It's not the fact that this guy said this thing about that guy. And he threw a water bottle at him and he talked all this smack on Twitter. I, I just don't. I don't get why people applaud that. Like I get why Connors the world do it because they make a lot of money. Okay, whatever. It's motivation. Why anyone would applaud that to me is a mystery. Like I <laughs> to me that confuses the shit. I would applaud Demetrius Johnson every day of the week. You know, the, the, the Bruno Mofacinis and the Lucas Lepri's of the world. You know, the guy, the Tunquinos who keep their fucking head down. Win everything. 
you don't hear a word about the guys because they're sticking to what's important. You know, for them, it's just like training, going back mm-hmm. to work. And, I love Lepre Jiu-Jitsu. Right? Uh, Bruno's I, I can go on. Bruno's I can give you a huge list. Most, most yeah. of them are like that, in fact. Yeah. And then you yeah. get the, the loud ones who aren't nearly as good. Yeah. You know, but I, but that's, I think that's, in a way, we're well, responsible for that because we, we reinforce it, right? Yeah, uh, let's go back to something. I mean, you you touched on ego. Of course, I gave my TEDx talk on ego, and uh, again, Robert and I were talking before the podcast about sort of that ego balance. Um, where can you just pause for a second? Yeah, I'll just run for it. One second. 